Well, good morning to each one of you. Greet each one this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus, especially our special visitors that we have here this morning. I'm uh, blessed to have my parents here. We had uh, kind of decided randomly just before we left that we were going to sing a song in light of them being here. But after we had two songs, I kind of decided we'll wait to sing that this afternoon. But Faith, I wanted to bless you for your testimony this morning of finding that lily in the valley. That was that was rich to me. That was a blessing. And I believe this morning that there's some more lilies in our valleys that are yet to be found. I believe that. So I just really appreciated that rich testimony. I appreciated the song. And my heart is this morning in sharing when I reach... Midway through what I have to say this morning, when I reach the point that I believe that God has taken me to, it's not going to be anything new, but just the reality of all of that, where I would like to go this morning, can be a nugget of encouragement and hope for us that, yes, there is more lilies that we can find in these valleys. That's my desire this morning. So, thank you all for coming. I appreciate everything we heard so far. The songs this morning on trust, that was a blessing. Um, Brother Wayne's encouragement to come to Christ and pay the price is a blessing. And I trust and hope that what I have to say here this morning can be a means of drawing us to the Lord. That's my heart this morning. So I'm going to start off this morning by... um, just noticing, I'm not going to put much focus on it at all, but I'm going to ask it in question form. And this is in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus, you don't really need to turn there, but it's where Jesus uh, tells his disciples to get in a boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee. And we're all familiar with the story. They're midway across, possibly midway across, I don't know. And a, a storm comes up and it it actually says that the boat was covered with waves. I'm not sure what all that means. And we have a very interesting uh, situation here, we have the disciples who are terrified. And they, in a terrified way, wake up the Lord. I believe they said we perish, something like that. And where was Jesus? He was sleeping. He was sleeping in the boat. And the question I'd like to ask this morning, you don't necessarily need to answer it. I'm guessing we could get multiple answers to this question. Why was Jesus able to sleep in the midst of a situation where his children were terrified and they were fearful and they woke him up. He was asleep. That's a question I'm going to ask and then we're going to go along. And I trust as we go along and share here this morning, that question can be answered, at least from the perspective that I'm approaching it this morning. I'm going to give you the title and this is a title. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to title it Gospel Simplicity. Uh, Wayne had mentioned this morning that when it's time to come up here and share sometimes, it's like, well, now what do I share? Well, I have a... I have a file at home where I write down different ideas of potential messages and then I tuck it away and that file gets pretty big sometimes and when it comes time to share, often I'll go through that and I'll wrinkle my nose and go to something else. Well, it's probably a year or more ago, I wrote down the title of Gospel Simplicity and I had somewhat of a burden for that subject to share that sometime and I had it tucked in the back of my mind and it was kind of coming to my heart again about that possibility of that subject, and I think it was about a week or two ago, I had a brother here, 
suggested that subject of gospel simplicity. And so as I was looking to the Lord this week as to what to share, that came to my mind. So this morning I'd like to share a subject, a a title, titled Gospel Simplicity. And I would have to say as I began seeking the Lord, where do I go with this subject? uh, My heart actually went in a little bit of a different vein than I had originally started down. And I think there's a reason for it. Um, this morning I'm going to look at this subject of gospel simplicity, but I'm going to suggest where my heart really was to go. I'm probably not going to get there maybe till the next time. Uh, if the Lord gives, gives me the freedom to go there, gospel simplicity. But before I go down that vein, I think there's another vein that I'd like to go down this morning as we consider the whole sub- subject of gospel simplicity. And if you're like me, when I originally began thinking about gospel simplicity, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about uh, simplicity. We think about uh, living uh, simple gospel lives. That's where my mind goes. And so that was at least the vein that I was going down as it relates to that gospel simplicity. But, you know, this morning, before I put a lot of focus on this gospel simplicity idea, I'd like to focus more attention this morning on the beauty and the simplicity of this simple gospel that is entrusted to us. And some of it is actually a concern that if I up here this morning would try to give recommendation of, you know, we really ought to be living more simple lives. This is a simple God. I might give somewhat of a mixed idea of what the gospel really is. And, you know, as I began looking at the scriptures and looking at that word and, and looking at what the heart of God is in the subject, you have a little bit of a hard time just going to God's word and actually building a defense of simply living simple lives. But if we connect it with the gospel, I believe we have something beautiful this morning. So this morning, you know, we live in a culture uh, that it's easy to get wrapped up in life's complexities. That's probably what you think of when you think of the need for a gospel simplicity message. Uh, we get wrapped up in life's uh, complexities, uh, financial undertaking, uh, business uh, pursuits and those kind of things can take us some times where we wonder, how did I ever get here? And then we think of, well, how would God have the Christians to live in this culture, in this day, in this generation where we live? And I trust if the Lord gives me freedom sometime in a later date to to give a part two, maybe we'll look at some more of those dynamics and aspects. But I feel I do injustice to us, injustice to that subject, if I first didn't go down the vein where I feel God is leading me today. You know, we could ask the question, gospel simplicity, Or sacrificial living. Is sacrificial living in the Bible? Is it there to live sacrificial lives is a question we could ask. What does the Bible say about it? Is it biblical? Is the Christian life a life of do's and don'ts in and of itself? Someone once said that when Christians are told things they should do or not do often results in groans. Uh, someone said it that with moans and groans, if we're give a list of do's and don'ts, and I understand that. But I honestly believe if we look at the beauty of the gospel and we look at the beauty of a surrendered, yielded life to Christ, it gives us a bit of a different picture. And that's where I'd like to go this morning. So for a springboard verse this morning into this subject, I'd like to look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. And it's a familiar, uh, it's a um, Pretty familiar verse to us, it says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Now, I copied that one out. I'm not sure. That almost didn't sound like King James. 
First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 3. First Corinthians 11, verse 3. For I fear lest by any means the serpent. Let me read the first be- verse before, just to get the context a little bit. Verse 2. Second uh, Corinthians 11. I might have said first. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. For I am jealous over you, Paul says, with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then he says, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And my understanding of this word simplicity in the New Testament is not what we often think of simplicity. We often think of simplicity as something simple, uh, something, uh, yeah, just basic, something very simple. But simplicity, the, the Greek understanding, in my, in, as I understand it, and the subject of simplicity actually means singleness, or in another case in the New Testament, it is translated bountifulness. And it gives a little bit of a different idea and picture of rather than just this, this simple little lifestyle that we think of sometimes when we think of gospel simplicity. So my, my uh, idea or my goal this morning is that we could look at this gospel simplicity through those lenses this morning, and that is the simplicity of the gospel. So when you think of the gospel this morning, what do you think of? What do you think of this morning when you think of the gospel? Uh, you probably think of good news, uh, tidings of deliverance, uh, the, the message that announces Christianity. Uh, it's the gospel, it's the gospel of Christ. And this morning I'd like to uh, largely, in a lot of ways, as laying a foundation with a means to get somewhere, look at the beauty of this gospel and look at the transforming power of this gospel, the life-changing uh, power that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and give us some encouragement this morning. Uh, the simplicity and the beauty of this gospel. <laughs> And this morning, I'd like to just look at it a little bit. I know it was just a couple of weeks ago we did. You can turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. I'm going to look at a verse and then uh, read just several verses in chapter 9. But go to Acts. And when I think of the beauty and the transforming power of the gospel uh, and what it actually does in the heart of a man, uh, we think... Uh, at least I do, my mind goes to the Apostle Paul. You know, what a radical transformation the gospel wrought in a man's life who at one time was destroying the faith that not very long after he began to preach the faith that he once destroyed. Tremendous radical transformation in a man's life. And I believe the Apostle Paul lived what I would like to Lift up, not just here this morning, but maybe at a later date, this whole idea of gospel simplicity. And I believe the Apostle Paul is a beautiful example of that kind of a transformed life. And, you know, I don't believe for a minute that the Apostle Paul lived that kind of a simple life just for simplicity's sake. He was burning with a passion and a fire and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for what Christ has done for him that so radically changed and transformed his life. And this morning, if I would stand up here and try to somehow recommend to us as a congregation that we uh, somehow make a, an appeal to you that we live more simple lives 
for that in and of itself really, really wouldn't be the the gospel simplicity, at least that that I'm looking for this morning. I believe that the scripture would teach us this morning. So that's my heart here this morning. The Apostle Paul in Acts 7.58, and this is where the, Stephen, the, stone, uh, the stoning of Stephen here just took place in uh, 7.58. And it says, They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. You know, just to let our minds go there, here we have this Apostle Paul, and he was... He was on this journey, and here we have Stephen, who's being stoned, and and we have Paul, he's right there. And you know, I, I, I marvel, and I think many times you have to wonder what was going through his mind as he was observing this as it's taking place. And in the middle of this, Stephen cries out in verse 60 as he's dying, and he says, he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice and said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Makes you wonder what would have been going on in the apostles Paul's mind. Well, we know it's not real long after that, if you turn your Bible a page or two to Acts chapter 9, where we have the account where Paul is on the road to Damascus. He's breathing out threatenings of slaughter against the disciples, uh, that he would go and bring all those that, that name the name of Christ and bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he is uh, on this Damascus road and uh, he, he's on this journey when this light in verse 3 shines around about him from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And we know the story um, where he goes from there. And if you just turn your pages back in your Bible, another page possibly to verse 18 there, how the, the scale fell off his eyes, and I don't think I'm going to take the time to read the whole account there, but we know how Paul had a radical, life-changing transformation that this gospel did for him. And it's a tremendous inspiration to us this morning that the Apostle Paul, a man, you know, and I'm going to get there a little bit later as we consider some of these things, but, you know, can you imagine... Paul had a lot of things he had to get over. I mean, he was a murderer. He was a destroyer of the faith. To flip that kind of a gear and become zealous for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that same transforming power is available for us today. Thank God for that. Let's, let's go to Romans now. I'm just going to read a number of scriptures. Just a, just a, just a few thoughts here about the Apostle Paul. And then I'd like to take us down a vein this morning that I trust is going to be an inspiration for us uh, as part of his testimony here in Romans chapter 1. I think I'm just going to read it pretty rapidly here. Romans 1, 9 through 16 says, he says, For God is my witness, this is the brand new Paul, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests with joy, if any means, now I, at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also. 
even as among other Gentiles. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And here he says it. Uh, so as as much as in is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I'd like to turn back to uh, just a short passage here yet and read a number of verses in Second Corinthians. As we consider the beauty of this gospel and how it so got a hold of Paul's heart. And here we sit in the 20th century. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. And we have this gospel right here at our fingertips, this transforming power of the gospel. My heart went out to Brother Wayne this morning. I knew what he was wanting to so desperately put in our hearts. We have this gospel at our fingertips. And there's, there is more lilies to be found in the valley in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that transforming power that's available to us today. Second Corinthians 5, 17 to the end, I'm going to read. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespass unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, I pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who, know so, who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. You know, we get enamored and fascinated about many things as it relates to technology and as it relates to, uh, yeah, where we find ourselves in this culture. But may we somehow get a rekindled fascination for the beauty of this gospel and for its transforming power that's available this morning to you and I, the transforming power of the gospel. Paul was amazing in that he was able to pick himself up and go. I'm just going to read a little something here that I found about Paul. Paul could be religious and still be self-centered. I want to make sure we get it here. Paul could be religious and still be self-centered. But he could not truly know Christ and remain self-centered. When he found Jesus, he lost all he had been living for. He considered it smelly dung compared to the sweetness that he found in the Lord Jesus. Now, may our lives be encouraged as we just consider for a bit here this morning the example of the Apostle Paul. His testimony was, for me to live as Christ. Christ was Paul's primary reason for living. He lived to please Jesus, he loved Jesus, he worshipped Jesus, he followed Jesus, he served Jesus, and proclaimed Jesus. That was the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I believe it was because of his radical transformation when he saw his desperate, needy condition before God, despite all the horrific things that he'd done. And he got a hold of the power of the gospel that so radically transformed and changed his life. Now, I'd like to go to Ephesians 2 and just consider with us a bit here this morning the depravity of mankind in our depraved condition this morning 
before a holy God. You know, sometimes I think that's part of our problem. You know, Paul lived, you know, I believe he honestly thought he was doing God's service. We know that. But I, I believe when when Paul really realized who Jesus Christ was and what he'd done and what his condition was before God. And, you know, I believe for us to really get a hold of the transforming power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and and have the ability to somehow convey that transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be able to convey it. Brother Marlin shared about the, the going into a prison and sharing the gospel. I, I think we really have to realize our own depraved state, even growing up in the church, growing up, learning to do all the right things, if we really understand our desperate need before a holy God for us to really get a hold of this transforming gospel. And we have it here in the first three verses, and we're all very familiar with it, but I'm just going to read it. In Ephesians 2, it says, You hath he quickened, and that is, You hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom... Also, we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And you know, this morning, that is our desperate, needy condition where we all stand before the God of heaven, a holy God outside of Christ. And it's only through Christ Jesus, it's only through the beauty of the gospel of grace that... And it's all because, as the next verse says here, but God is rich in mercy. And this morning, that is our condition. That is our, that is our condition as we stand this morning before a God. And you know, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that reaches down and gives us hope this morning because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know, this morning, we really, none of us have anything to boast about apart from Jesus Christ. And where do you find yourself this morning? You know, as a result, as a result of the fall of man and as a result of man's hopeless condition, today we live in a chaotic world. We live in a chaotic, confused, and may I say ever increasingly being confused world apart from Jesus Christ and apart from the beauty of the gospel. It's disorderly and out of control. And, you know, as a result of that, there's people in our world that gets very close home that experience a lot of rejection and a lot of hurt this morning as a result of some of the chaotic conditions that we have going on around us. And now I'd like to go down just a little bit of a different vein. And you will learn as I go along here. I have recently, uh, my daughter gave me a book on my birthday that I'm reading by John Koblenz. Can't think of the title of it right now. But it deals with rejection and hurt. And I personally, after reading that book, I believe there is a lot of us today that respond out of our rejection and our hurt. And I hope this morning, by the time I'm finished that we can get a hold of a nugget here this morning that will assist us in this journey. In this book I found, and this is a John Koblenz book, but it wasn't original with him. He, he writes it this way. He said, one pastor says it this way. He says, life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. And I agree with that. And I'd like you to think about this morning. Life is 10% of what happens to us and it's 90% how we respond to it. 
And then he says this, he realizes that, and, and I agree with, these, these percentages could be debatable, but he says from a, biblic, from a biblical perspective, we must conclude our responses are more significant than our circumstances in shaping who we are. I'll say that again. Our responses are more significant than our circumstances in shaping who we are. And as I studied some of that subject, you know, I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. Man's typical response in our depraved state of the soul. And, you know, many, many people reject Christ when Christ is the answer for the depravity this morning of our soul and possibly where you find yourself this morning. And this morning, I'd like to give us some hope and some encouragement. Now, I would like to look, and I got this from John Coblenz, but I would like to look at some natural reactions um, to rejection and see if it rings clear to you. Um, and I'd like to just re- suggest it this way, and this is the way he puts it. He uses four uh, examples in scripture, let me see here, three from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament of how anger drives rebellion, fear drives control, loneliness drives intemperance, and inadequacy many times drives performance. And he uses Absalom as an example and how it drove him to kill his half-brother as a result of him, Amnon, killing his sister. And we can summarize his life of anger, which led him eventually to a life of rebellion. And you know, this morning, anger is damaging. Anger is damaging to those around us. And I believe that was uh, Absalom's response to his situation. Angry men are very damaging to their children. And then we have Saul. He uses it as an example of fear. Saul's fear drove David drove him, uh, Saul's fear of David drove him to a life out of control. David's victory over Goliath and the women's praise of him was more than Saul could take and it drove him to a life of control and eventually trying to get rid of David. And it was his fear that drove that control and fear brings a snare. And then another example he gives here is of loneliness. And you know, in our chaotic world, I'd just like to think about it this morning and see if some of these things don't resonate in your own heart as we find ourselves in difficult, hurting situations, hurting relationship situations. Many times these are a natural response. And then he talks on the subject of loneliness and he uses the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's a little bit unclear. We have to do a little bit of assuming uh, to consider this situation, but we can't help but believe this morning that I believe the Samaritan woman experienced a lot of loneliness. I mean, we know that she had five husbands and Jesus says the one that you currently have is not your husband. So that would give clear indication that she had been through at least five relationship breakups. And you can only imagine the tremendous loneliness that a person like that would be experiencing, which continued to lead her to a life of more intemperance or lack of self-control, which led her to where she ended up. And, you know, is that not also when even God's people, when we experience uh, loneliness and those kind of things, lead many times, many, many people into a life of a lack of self-control and into addictions? 
And it happens many times. I think loneliness leads many people to drugs, pornography, uh, possessions, thrills, and countless other things to satisfy the longing that only Jesus can fill. And that is where we want to go this morning. Esau is another one. And you know, as I consider the life of Esau and I consider this whole area of his inadequacy and how his inadequacy drove him, John Cobbins would suggest, to a life of performance. And these things, you know, they ring so clear to me. You know, there'd be a lot of things we could talk about each one of these four individuals, and I don't have in mind and go into real deep detail, but some of these things just seems, just connect with me. Uh, first of all, as it relates to working with people, or I should say, first of all, in my own life, I realize some of my own tendencies as it relates to some of these things, but especially as it relates to Esau, his inadequacy drove him to a life of performance trying to please his father. And uh, an unhealthy life of performance driven uh, to find affirmation in unhealthy ways by a person or by a group. And it says, and he suggests, and I actually agree, many times those kind of uh, a life driven by performance, a person like that many times finds it hard to handle criticism when criticism comes. And we can become very, very preoccupied about what others think when we go down that life of performance. And each one of these situations, I believe, can become pretty close to our heart. And in each one of these situations, we see four different individuals that were responding to an unfortunate situation in life. They were responding to an unfortunate, somewhat of an out-of-the-control situation in life. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer for that kind of a situation. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer for our souls. But I believe even as Christians, as we go through difficult times, I think if we understand the security that we have in Christ, that is what's going to help us through. And I would like to consider that this morning. I think for a lack of time, I'm just going to pretty much skip over it, but I was going to just go down through. Maybe I'll just make a few comments real rapidly here in Ephesians chapter 2. I read up to verse 4, and it just is a total injustice of this passage to leave off right there and not go a bit further, at least allude to it. And then I want to go where I really want to get to here this morning. But in Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 22, we just see the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He's rich in mercy for His great love wherein He loved us. Even when we were dead in sin, He quickens us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And you know, it's interesting, the, ver- the, the words together and the word uh, ye and is it us, I believe, is mentioned countless times in this passage of Scripture. You know, it's not all about me, but it's about us It's as a body. It's all of, it, it's us together here. That in ages to come, he might show what is the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us by Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and not none of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And we could read on and on there, but I think I'm going to leave off now. And I'm going to get this morning where I would really like to go as we consider uh, this whole area of responding to hurt, responding to rejection, or responding maybe to our depraved uh, situation in life this morning. Maybe we were never truly born again or, or never really truly yielded your life to Christ. I want you to know this morning there is hope for your soul. And if we this morning, even in our, our saved state, find ourselves reacting in these kind of situations because of anger, or because of our own inadequacy, or because of fear 
uh, or our loneliness uh, this morning, our security is in Christ and in Christ alone. And I'd like us this morning just to really uh, consider some things here this morning as we look at this subject here this morning. And I'd like to, and you can turn here with me, I'd just like to first of all approach it from the standpoint and look at the beauty of the relationship with God the Father and with His Son. I'd like to start off by looking there, and you can turn to Matthew 3. We're going to look up just a few passages as it relates to that here this morning. Matthew chapter 3 is a, is a, uh, a couple of uh, beautiful things that happen here. Uh, 3.17, it says, And this is when Jesus was baptized. Jesus was baptized, and he went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And it says, And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So in this situation where Jesus was baptized, I think it says to fulfill all righteousness, this voice comes out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now you can turn back to chapter 17 of of Matthew. Matthew 17, we have a similar situation uh, where a similar thing happens. It's a complete different incident. It's where Peter, James, and John... They're up on the mountain. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was uh, transfigured before them. Uh, Moses and Elias appear for a time. And Peter, of course, says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's just uh, let's just uh, build something here. and Let's just stay right here. And it says, while he yet spake, behold, the bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So there we have it again. Jesus, uh, God the Father, speaks right out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I'm not going to turn to it, but we know when Christ was was crucified, there when He gave up the ghost, it said the earth, the, the earth quaked, and I think it was once again God speaking from heaven. Uh, we could turn to Second uh, Peter. I don't think I'm going to take time to go there, but we could turn to Second Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. This is years later where Paul, uh, Peter iterates of who, God, who, who Jesus is and the beauty of it. And he reiterates how he heard the voice coming from heaven that this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Isaiah 42, that one I'd like to turn to if you would. Isaiah 42 is another scripture of once again God at least indicating uh, his relationship or his love to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. There we see it. Uh, I believe it's God saying, In whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And I believe he's speaking there of Jesus. And what I'd like to point out to these things, you know, there is no question in our minds this morning of the Father's love for his Son. I believe when Jesus left his eternal home in heaven and came to earth and dwelt among men. You know, we, we, we see it so clearly in some of these uh, situations that happen where Jesus, where God the Father makes it very clear and he communicated that love to his son. And, you know, just as a side note, I recommend we as fathers communicate that to our sons, I think is, is, uh, is a blessing. So I'd, I'd like to just suggest us this morning, I'm going to go back to where I started with the question. So Jesus is in his boat and he's going across the sea and the disciples are terrified and we have Jesus who's fast asleep. Do you think it had anything to do with the heart of love that he knew 
that his father had towards him. Did it have anything to do that he could sleep as such? I'd like to just hold that thought in your mind a little bit as we consider that subject. But, you know, I think there's a tremendous amount of security. And the reason I say I think it's important that we as fathers communicate that love to our children, that our children understand that security. And, you know, as a result, maybe not as a result of that, but I think if we can really get a hold of the security that we have in Christ Jesus, uh, living the reality and understanding the father's love for his children, I think can be tremendously freeing to God's children this morning. You know, it's a blessing to have my dad here this morning. He probably totally forgets the incident, but I remember clearly when I was a little boy, probably younger than Jordan, there was a bad storm came up at home and we were sitting on the front porch when a lightning bolt hit the locust tree out front. And it was totally terrifying to me. But I remember I felt secure. My dad was there. He probably doesn't even remember it anymore. But, you know, I remember different times as a little boy growing up at home when a storm was coming. And I always wondered if my dad was, if my dad was home, everything was going to be okay. And so we look at Jesus, he's in the boat, and the boat is rocking, and things are happening. I think he had that security in his Father's love. And you know, that is the security we're going to get there, that God's children can have in his love this morning. That's where I'd like to go, and I'd like to just turn that direction now in John, and look at a verse in John 17. John 17 is where Jesus prays that beautiful prayer as he's getting ready to leave the earth. And go back to the Father, and we're not going to take time to read it, but I'm just going to refer to a few things in John 17. Uh, he's, he's praying for those that he's leaving, and he says in verse 11, I am, I, and, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those that thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. So he's praying for that kind of a oneness for his children. And then we come to uh, verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read here. It says, and this is still part of his prayer. He says that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou hast gavest me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The latter part of that last verse is where I'm going, that they that they may understand that I have loved them as you have loved me. You know, this morning I think that that is that is that is where I would really like to go here this morning is for us to understand And I don't think there's a doubt in any one of our minds how much God the Father loved His Son. We fathers understand how much we love our sons, don't we? We understand. And the beauty and the blessing, and we see the the love that the Father had for His Son when He's getting ready to go back to His Father. He says that they may somehow understand that you love them just like you love me. That's what I get from that this morning. And you know, I think it's tremendously freeing and liberating this morning as we live in a world that is full of hurt, a world that's full of rejection. And many of us, I believe, many, many times are tempted and are going to be tempted to respond in fleshly, carnal ways out of some of the rejection and some of the hurt that we just seem we can't get away from. But I believe a great assistance to us this morning on this journey of somehow dealing with the kind of hurts and the pain and the situations that comes our way 
if we understand the beauty and the blessing and the security that we have in the Father's love. If we can understand that, I believe it can be liberating, I believe it can be freeing, and I believe it can be assisting us greatly in this journey. And you know what I know this morning? There's some in our room here that have never committed their life to Christ. And you know, that's part of what we're missing. If we hold on to our sin and don't, as Wayne was admonishing us this morning, let go of our sin in repentance and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to a place of really understanding how much love the Father has for us. Just like the Father loved the Lord Jesus Christ, that love is towards us today. And we want to look just a little bit more about that. I just want to read a little bit about our union that we have as believers with Christ. To be in Christ is to be placed in position to receive the same love, the same acceptance, and the same approval the Father has given and continues to give to the Son. It is to enter the glorious privilege of God's delight in His Son. In Christ we are loved and fully accepted. In Christ we receive the full approval from the Father. Do you believe that this morning? In Christ we have the promise of being fully received into eternity, into glory for eternity. It is an unspeakable wonder because it is based on the finished work of Christ for us and our spiritual union with Christ. Do you believe that this morning? The demands of the law have been completely met in the person of Jesus Christ and he loves us with the same love of his own son. You know, going back to that account where the boat was rocking, is it any reason why Jesus could be at rest? And you know, we can spiritualize that this morning. In life, does your boat ever rock? I'm sure it does. Our boats rock many, many times. And in our rocking boats, in the difficult situations, you know, I I said earlier this morning that that only 10% of where we go in life is as a result of our circumstances, but 90% is... Uh, as a result of our responses to those circumstances. Our boats are going to rock many, many times and that same security, I personally believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the same security that the Lord Jesus Christ had as He walked on earth, we can have also. So, I mean, yeah. Just think about that. But I, I honestly believe that we can. I believe we can, we can be in that security. That doesn't mean our boat isn't going to rock. That isn't going to mean we're not going to be tempted to react or act in those kind of ways. But I believe if we experience that kind of security, uh, God will help us get through some of the difficult things that come our way. Uh, Colossians 1.13 is, is a beautiful verse. I'd just like to look at it as we consider that subject. Colossians... One thirteen. Colossians one thirteen says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He translates us into the kingdom of our dear, dear of his dear son when we turn our lives to Christ. And I'd just like this to be a Boost in our confidence today if we're struggling or if we're feeling empty or if we're feeling rejected or even feeling misunderstood to somehow understand God's love that He has for His children here today. Romans 8.13, if you would turn to. And I'd just like to look a little bit as we 
consider down that vein of the Father's acceptance of us as children. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 reads, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Or Papa, Father, I think is what that means there. But we've seen the spirit of adoption where God places us in His family and loves us with the same love. If I'm understanding it correctly, correct me if I'm wrong theology here. Loves us with the same love that He had For the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be and are, as children of God, adopted into that family with that kind of love is amazing. Some of you probably were already at adoptions. I was at my first adoption probably a month or two ago when Derek and Brenda up at Harmony adopted little Cheyenne and Brian. And that was beautiful. That was amazing. That was a blessing. The, the, um, the judge played right into it and it was a, it was a beautiful situation there in the courtroom. And, you know, the thing that was just outstandingly amazing to me for those two precious little children at the end of that adoption, their beaming faces were incredible. They had the sense of belonging that they were looking for. They had the sense of belonging they were looking for. They were beaming, beaming, bright-eyed faces. They were adopted into a loving family. And you know, it's just a blessing observing an adoption, how that works, how the, the judge, you know, asked them, you know, you're, you're, you're taking, you're going to care for them, you're going to love them like your own, you're going to, and ask them all these kind of questions, and they, 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 yes, they will, you know, of course they responded to it. I'm sure some of you were at adoptions already. But it was just beautiful. It just, it was just, it was. And if somehow we can realize this morning, that's actually the transfer that takes place when we commit our lives to Christ. His love is amazing. His love is amazing. You know, it was just the other day I stood beside a man. Stood beside a man. Very, very troubled. Very, very troubled. And very much needing hope in this life. But you know what the gospel does? The gospel, you know, standing there with... You know, we can have a brown bag with alcohol in it. We can have tobacco in our back pocket. We can have tobacco in our mouth. We can be living. And you know, the gospel brings us actually on the same platform that man stands on. And we can offer hope to a soul like that. Because, you know, in all reality, that's us. That's us. That's who we are. We really aren't any better. We are all in that depraved state of mind. And that's what the gospel does. We can stand beside a soul like that and offer hope. And I know this morning we have some troubled young people in our our room here this morning. And I just want you to know there's hope for you this morning. And are discouraged, maybe acting out of anger, that will eventually lead to rebellion. Maybe it's responding out of fear that eventually or maybe already has you throwing spears. Or, you know, it might be out of our inadequacy that's going to lead to bondage of some sort or another, you know, God can take you right out of that situation and place you and translate you into the kingdom of His Son and give you hope and a bright future. You know, even though I never heard it of a soul stepping out of the baptismal waters and the clouds roll back and God say, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. 
You know, by faith, I see that in the word of God. I see that by faith in the word of God. When a soul chooses to surrender and yield everything to Christ and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and commit his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and willing to take up his cross and follow Christ. When we embrace the gospel like that and step up, step out of the baptismal waters, I think that's God's heart, even though we don't see it in the age we live in. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's how God accepts his children who turn to them. May we not use, lose the beauty and the glory of this gospel. And so before we even think about talking about gospel simplicity, my desire is that we could truly embrace and realize the beauty of this gospel. It's no wonder John cried out and said, Behold, behold, he says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's us this this morning. He's precious, but you're a chosen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but now are a people, which have not obtained mercy, but today you have obtained mercy. You know, dear people, this morning it's all about being in him. If you go back to Ephesians, the, the chapter 1, there's just a few verses there. You don't realize you need to turn there. I can just read them. It says, according to as he hath chosen us. In him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glory, of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his great, of his grace. You know, everything we are in the sight of God, we are through the work of Jesus Christ this morning. The favor, the love, the belonging, the security, all rest upon the work of Christ on our behalf. The absolute acceptance he gained with the Father through his perfect obedience, he now shares with those who place their faith in him. By faith, we become united with Jesus Christ and share in the Father's love. You know, it's amazing. The Apostle Paul, as I referred to earlier on here, he burned with that. He lived with that. If you want to do an interesting study sometime, and it's easy to do with your computers nowadays, and and you can, in your concordance, look how many times he refers to in Christ, or in Him, or in the Beloved. It's it's well over a hundred, I know that. It might be hundreds, I don't know. In Him. And you know, this morning, is that how, that, that that is who we are in Christ. We're in Him. We're in Him. That the Father would look down, and I don't know how it all plays out because I realize we can't take this too far because I believe God sees everything. And I believe if we choose to walk away from the faith, God sees who we really are. But I believe those that are accepted and that are in in the Beloved, that have committed and yielded their life to Christ, it's the righteousness of Christ that fulfilled the demands of the law, and that's who He sees, the believer in Christ Jesus. We are accepted. It's just beautiful. It's, it's a sense of belonging. And I'd like to just give us that encouragement here this morning. I'd like to wrap it up here pretty soon. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Uh, Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. These are some of these verses. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8, uh, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which we have in Christ Jesus. It's just a beautiful thing this morning. And i like to give us that encouragement. Therefore, if a man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. As we wind it down here, just a few closing thoughts. Reaction. Reaction to rejection can be minimized in Christ Jesus. We need, we need not be driven by fear or anger or loneliness or inadequacy. If we find ourselves this morning to succumbing either of these four responses, there is hope for us if we realign ourselves, our, our focus through repentance, confession, and refocus. And I'd like to just give us that encouragement here this morning. And especially this morning, I think, especially of our young people in the, the time that we live in, the age that we live in this morning. And I'd like to just uh, give you some encouragement this morning that if you find yourself at that place where you know that is not where you're at, you're not in the beloved, you're, not, you're, you're outside of that, you've, you've chosen uh, a life of sin and haven't accepted that this morning, that there is hope for you. And I'm just going to advise you talk to somebody this morning. You know, that was me 20 plus some years ago sitting at Faith Mennonite Fellowship when there was a message, something similar like this was shared. And I talked to a brother after, afterward and found that peace and that freedom. And this morning, that can be yours. That can be yours in Christ Jesus. And you can experience that security in the Father's love. Just a couple concluding thoughts here this morning. Just want to recognize our situation where we're at here as a, as a congregation. It's been recognized that as a result of a number of different unhealthy realities at work in our congregation, we have an unhealthy and it's been determined fear factor at work. As a result, we all stand at risk, I believe, for responding in unhealthy ways to hurt and feelings of rejection. I personally believe as a result of unhealed hurt, there are many times God's people react out of their hurt in very unhealthy ways that lend itself towards going down unhealthy paths and sometimes eventually as a result to leaving the faith. And we know that's a tragedy this morning. And part of the reason why I share this message this morning or was at least so dear to my heart is I even realize in my own heart my tendencies to those kind of unhealthy reactions and unhealthy circumstances. And so this morning, I'd just like to advise us, those of us that have committed our life to Christ and we have an open heaven over our life and we're living in the blessing of God to realize the blessing and the security that we have in Christ. And as we go through this journey of the next six months, discussing uh, deep things as brothers and uh, this journey of bringing each, uh, bringing the fellowship together here, just to come to realization, the security that we have in Christ Jesus, and we need not to react out of these ways that we are, that are so common to man, reacting in the flesh. And I'd just like to give us that encouragement this morning. May we get a hold of what Paul had. In closing, just to give us some encouragement, I'm going to read to you. It's going to take me a few minutes here to do this. You know, we believe this morning that we're the body of Christ. Are we the body of Christ? We're accepted in the Beloved. We're here on earth in these latter days that we live in here. What does God have for us? You know, this morning I'm excited. I just want, I just want you to know as a congregation, part of the leadership team, I'm excited 
And I am full of, I shouldn't say I'm full of faith and confidence. But I believe God is going to do amazing things among us as we allow him to. I want you to know that. I believe as we humble our hearts before God and we share as brothers and we have some of these brothers meetings where we really open up our hearts and share. I believe God is going to do some amazing things among us. And I believe that's God's heart. And you know, we are part of God's body here on this earth. And God has a work for us to do. And I just just to give some encouragement for us to go down that journey of what God would have for us here, I'd like to read to you. You know, about 2,000 years ago, when Christ was here on earth in body, and he's not here anymore, but his body is here. I'm just going to read over you some things that that body did while he was there to just let it impress and weigh upon our hearts of what God's will is today for the body of Christ. A bruised reed, this is referring to Christ, a bruised, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall not be quenched. Isaiah 42, 3. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The minister, the, in, in Jesus' ministry, he demonstrated this concern for the poor for the meek, for the brokenhearted, for the outcast, over and over again. And I'm going to share with you a partial list of what Christ did when he was on earth, just as a body that we could let it grip our hearts what God's will is for this body, because we are his body on earth. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus offered living water to a Samaritan woman who had multiple husbands. He drove out a host of demons from a man who lived wild and naked, abandoned in a graveyard, Jesus clothed him, and as they sat and talked for the first time in years, the man experienced kindness and respect. A man full of leprosy begged Jesus to heal him, and Jesus actually reached out and touched the man, an act of kindness completely foreign to the man's experience. A sick woman who had spent her resources on physicians to no avail, poor, socially shy, and yet desperate, came to Jesus and touched the hem of his robe in faith. Not only was she healed, but Jesus sought her out and openly blessed her faith. Jesus publicly praised the Samaritan, despised by the Jews. He showed compassion on the robbed and beaten man while good standing Jews passed by without lifting a finger to help. When the disciples scolded people for bringing their children to Jesus, he responded, let them come. He loved, the, he loved to hold the children in his arms and bless them. A blind beggar hearing that Jesus was passing nearby, shouted for help. Those around him tried to hush him, but Jesus stopped, called for him, and healed his blindness, then commended his faith. A Canaanite woman raised such a fuss in begging for healing for her daughter that Jesus' disciples sent her away. Although Jesus initially seemed unwilling to help her, perhaps testing the genuineness of her pursuit, he responded not only with healing for the daughter, but with these words, O woman, great is thy faith. A disabled man with apparently no friends or caring relatives lay for years by a pool in Jerusalem. Jesus singled this man out who, no one, who had no one and healed him. A woman who had committed adultery was brought to Jesus by the scribes and Pharisees. They demanded a public judgment of what he thought she deserved, seeing her humiliation and knowing both her heart 
and the hearts of her accusers, Jesus responded in such a way that her accusers left in embarrassment. To this shame, to this shamed woman, Jesus quietly spoke, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Even the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus heard these words, Father, forgive them, for they know what, for they know not what they do. Now I believe that only Jesus Christ could live up to that expectation. Only Jesus Christ could do that. But what is our heart this morning toward that subject? Do we want to be that kind of a body? And I believe we can. As we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and humble our hearts before the God of heaven. So I trust and hope that this morning, as we consider this subject of gospel simplicity, and like I shared before, I think if God grants me the freedom to look at other aspects where I originally planned to go on that subject. But I believe if we really get a hold of the heart of Christ and the beauty of the gospel and God's will for the church in the days that we live in, we will have a desire to live gospel simplicity. And that's my heart, so I'm not sure where I'll go in the future. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to live in a part of the world and in a time and a season where we have been exposed to the gospel when most of the world today sits in darkness. And Father, we realize that where much is given, much is required. And Father, I pray that you would help us to really get a hold of the beauty and the blessing of the gospel and what it means to be translated into the kingdom of your dear Son and get a hold of it by faith. Father, we ask you to work in our hearts, work in the hearts of this congregation that we might be more and more transformed into the image of Christ. Father, may you alone be glorified. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.